Hey guys, I'm Chastity, and this is the Ancient Conspiracies Podcast. Well, welcome back to the podcast. I wanted to come to you today and just talk openly about our world and going into the end days and offer a bit of encouragement as to our place in the overall picture. I've had a few different people reach out to me in the last couple of weeks or make comments in the Facebook group about being afraid, being afraid of what's coming, of the times that we're going into and of what we might come up against. So I just wanted to address that it's perfectly normal to feel that way. And I want to assure you that if you are experiencing fear, you are not alone. As we've talked about numerous times on the podcast and reiterated just last week, the end days are prophesied to be full of supernatural episodes and spiritual warfare. Evil is going to be unleashed onto the world. Demonic activity is going to increase and wickedness is going to ramp up. The powers of darkness are going to manifest. In fact, we're told in Matthew chapter 24 by Christ that there will be distress on the earth unlike anything that's happened since the beginning of the world or anything that will ever happen again. He goes on to say that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be with the coming of the Son of Man. And we know from Genesis chapter 6 that there was wickedness on the earth during the days of Noah. In fact, we're told that every inclination of the hearts of men were only evil all the time. And we're told in the book of Enoch that this was because of the knowledge that was given to mankind by the fallen angels. In the book of Enoch, we're told that after God imprisoned the fallen angels for corrupting the earth, he then sent Raphael to heal the earth, quote, so that not all the children of men will perish through the knowledge that the watchers have disclosed, unquote. Essentially, had God not intervened, humanity would have been destroyed because of the knowledge that they were given. We see a bit of this knowledge resurface at the Tower of Babel with Nimrod, where the whole earth was of one language. And under the guidance of Nimrod, utilizing the knowledge from the fallen angels, they attempted to build a tower to breach heaven. And when God saw what they were doing, he essentially said that had they been able to finish it, nothing they planned to do would be impossible for them. So he confused their language and scattered the people. Again, he had to intervene in order to save them from the corrupt knowledge that they were using. And if you remember from episode 34, it's highly possible that the fallen angels intentionally gave mankind corrupt knowledge that they knew would destroy humanity as a warfare tactic. So this knowledge was introduced during the days of Noah. It then resurfaced after the flood with Nimrod, and it's widely believed to be coming again just prior to Christ's return. The phrase, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be with the coming of the Son of Man, may not only elude to the return of wickedness and knowledge, but as we said last week, there are several other prophecies that promote the idea that the fallen angels will also return, bringing with them this knowledge. And as we're told by Christ, God will once again have to intervene in order to save humanity. He said, if those days had not been shortened, there would be no flesh left alive. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Exactly like we saw in the days of Noah, God is going to have to intervene through Christ's return to keep humanity from being wiped from existence. 
So the end days are going to be a perilous time, and we may not only have to contend with the wickedness that surfaces amongst humanity, those around us who are possessed by evil, but the fallen angels may also return to dwell among us. In fact, stories of extraterrestrial or rather extra-dimensional life forms may become more normal. It's going to be a deception that many people, including the elect, the church, are not prepared for. And it's going to cause mass confusion and panic. In fact, in Luke's version of Christ's conversation with the disciples, Christ forewarns that men's hearts will fail them for the fear of those things which are coming upon the earth. And we're told in 2 Thessalonians that a falling away will happen during this time frame. That even the very elect may be deceived. Not only will the Antichrist be revealed, but the wicked will also be exposed. And this is going to happen when God allows a strong delusion, a great deception to take place. Where quote-unquote false Christs and prophets will offer up great signs and wonders. And many will believe the lie. And God allows this deception in order to essentially separate the wheat from the chaff right before the harvest. We're told in Matthew chapter 3 that he will gather the wheat into his barn and burn the chaff with never-ending fire. And in my mind, what better deception to rock the foundation of the church or the foundation of the earth than another life form arriving on our planet and claiming to be our creators and or gods, just like the fallen angels did in the days of Noah. We're told in Ecclesiastes that there is no new thing under the sun. History is going to repeat itself. And this is why I personally believe that we're beginning to see this narrative of aliens ramping up, even in just the last year. From the UFOs that were shot down by the U.S. military last spring, to the whistleblowers coming forward in the summer claiming that the U.S. military was in possession of alien bodies. There have even been other whistleblowers come forward to claim that the U.S. military is working alongside these entities in underground facilities. And then there was the alien bodies that were presented to the Mexican Congress just last September, which have yet to be verified as authentic. And even at the end of last year, there was an event in the jungles of Peru where alien entities were attempting to abduct and harm people. Tim Alberino actually visited the village in Peru to investigate this. There's been a lot of reports in the mainstream media this last year about aliens, not to mention the most recent Miami Mall situation, whether you believe it to be a hoax or not. So it's possible that as we inch closer towards Christ's return, we're going to experience these types of occurrences more and more. And we need to be prepared and understand our power in the midst of spiritual warfare. You know, there's a sermon that I heard almost exactly 10 years ago in January of 2014. I think it was a friend who shared it with me, or it may have been my mom, and it's from a local church. I want to say she was a guest speaker, but I never caught her name, nor do I remember the name of the church. But when I first heard it, I found it so moving that I saved the audio and even transcribed it among my personal notes. And I just shared it in the audio library on my website. I'll add the link in the description for you to hear it if you like. But she's talking about true spiritual warfare and the evil that's going to be assigned in the end days for God's people. 
And just to give an insight into how Satan thinks and does battle, she shared the story of Job. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with Job, Job was blameless and righteous. He feared God and he shunned evil. And for that reason, he was prosperous. We're told in scripture that he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. Now, that would be a lot even today. I can't even imagine the land it would take to comfortably house almost 11,000 animals alongside the servants who tended them and his family. But Job was so concerned with his upstanding before the Lord that he would occasionally burn sin offerings to the Lord on behalf of his children just in case they might have sinned to make sure that they were covered by the blood of the sacrifice. And that tells you the love that he had for his children and the respect he had for the Lord. So we're told in the book of Job that one day the angels came to present themselves among the heavenly council and Satan came among them. And when asked where he'd been, Satan replied that he'd been roaming the earth. As we're told in other passages in scripture, he was likely looking for who he could devour, who he could accuse of wrongdoing. And I don't know how Job's name originally got brought into the conversation, but God ends up bragging on Job for being unlike anyone else on earth because of his righteousness and the love he had for the Lord. To which Satan replied that he was only righteous and blameless and loved the Lord because everything was continually working in his favor because God had placed a hedge of protection around him and his household and everything he owned. So Satan basically said, if you take away everything he has and remove his protection, I bet he won't feel the same way about you. So God gave Satan permission to attack Job in whatever way he wanted, as long as he didn't kill him. And the day came when thieves suddenly arrived and stole all of Job's livestock and killed all of his servants. His sheep were caught in a fire and the home in which his children had gathered collapsed on top of them and they were killed. And we're told in scripture that as he was being told of one of these tragedies, another messenger would arrive to announce another tragedy and so on and so on until Job had nothing left. But rather than curse God, Job revered the Lord. He said, quote, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart this life. For the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Unquote. But that's not where the story ends. The angels once again came to present themselves among the heavenly council, and Satan once again came among them. And God points out that Job had maintained his integrity through the test, even though Satan had taken everything he had. To which Satan replied, quote, Skin for skin, a man will give all that he has for his own life. I bet if you stretch out your hand and strike his body, he will surely curse you to your face, unquote. To which God again gave permission for Satan to attack Job in the flesh as long as he wasn't killed. And Job became covered in painful sores, and this time his wife came to him and told him to just curse God and die, to which Job replied, quote, You are a foolish woman. Shall we only accept good from God and not trouble? Unquote. Now, if you go on to read that story, Job was fully restored for his faithfulness to God. But his responses are what make this story pertinent for us and primarily for spiritual warfare. 
in the sermon that I heard a decade ago and loved. She talked about the ways in which Satan comes against us and how Job was faithful because he knew the promises of God. So in the midst of his life crumbling around him and everything possible going wrong, he recognized that God was still good. And the speaker said, how easy is praise and worship when everything is going our way? In fact, many times people only think to give praise when God has come through for them. But is he not still worthy of praise when the report is positive for cancer? Is he still faithful when you've lost it all? And I'll go a little deeper. There's a story in Matthew chapter 11 of John the Baptist who was in prison waiting to be beheaded. And he sends word to Christ asking Christ if he's really the Messiah. Now, just let that sink in for a second. This is Christ's cousin that we're talking about. The very man who baptized Christ, who saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and who heard the voice of God saying, This is my Son who I love. In him I am pleased. John had given his life to proclaim the coming of the Lord. And yet all of a sudden he finds himself on death row questioning whether Christ was who he said he was and wondering whether he was going to be rescued from death. And here's what Christ responds. The blind are still receiving sight. The lame are able to walk. Those with leprosy are being healed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised and the gospel is still being spread. He said, quote, blessed is anyone who is not offended because of me, unquote. And what he meant was, blessed are those who are not offended when I don't come through in the way that they think I should. If I don't rescue you, because I'm still performing miracles, I'm still about my father's business. And sadly, as we know from scripture, John was ultimately beheaded. But that's the power of Job's story, that no matter what was taken from Job and no matter what came against Job, even against his health, he never blamed God. He was never offended that God wasn't coming to his rescue. He continued to stand firm in his knowledge of God and in the goodness of God and in the faithfulness of God and in the promises of God. Because God has the power to give, but he also has the power to take away. And if we are willing to accept the good things of God, then we need to also accept that God is working those things which we may not think are good for our good. And the speaker went on to magnify that the greatest assault in Satan's arsenal is to come against our flesh. After all, he said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. If you reach out and touch his body, he will surely curse God. And he's right. Grumbling, complaining, murmuring, negativity, cursing God comes so easily when we're in the middle of a struggle. And yet, as we're shown in Job, it's praise that silences the voice of the enemy. It's being rooted in the truths about God and holding steadfast in the midst of a trial, even though you may not understand it and even if a breakthrough never comes. And I just want to take a moment and play a short clip from her sermon for you to hear that shows the power of praise in our lives and in the context of spiritual warfare. Take a listen to this. 
most of you, many of you know that years ago, back in 1999, my husband and Patrick Heese and some good friends in the ministry were in a car accident. It nearly took the life of all four of them. There was months and even years of rehabilitation that took place. My husband's body was destroyed, broken really on the whole left side of his body. Everything on the left side was shattered. He was in ICU for a couple weeks and then they moved him to a step down unit and then from there he came home to a hospital bed for a few months. When they released him from the hospital after a few weeks, they had been focusing on so many other parts of his body, they didn't realize that his diaphragm had been split during the accident. And after a few weeks of not realizing that, his stomach had gotten sucked up into his lung cavity. And so he was in a tremendous amount of pain. And I remember him laying in his hospital bed in our living room, and I would lay in our bedroom that was just right next door, and I would hear him in the middle of the night crying out for God to take his life because the pain was so great. You see, it was that trial I'm talking about, skin for skin. And I remember him laying there and hearing him, and it would wake me in the night because his groanings and his cries for relief were so deep, I could hardly stand to hear it. And I would put the pillow over my head and say, please, God, please just don't let me hear this. I can't take it because there was nothing we could do. And at that time, they didn't realize what was going on in his physical body to create such pain. And so one night I was in the dark and I heard him crying out and he would, he would, he'd be in so much pain, he would just sweat from pain. And the Lord spoke to me that night and he said, go tell him to begin to praise me. And I remember thinking, praise you? You want me to go tell him to praise you? And he said, if he doesn't, he'll die. And so I remember literally in the dark crawling to the end of his hospital bed and I grabbed a hold of his feet because there wasn't any other part of his body I could touch without him being in pain and I remember saying to him I don't know how to tell you this but it's a word from the Lord that in this moment you need to begin to praise him his word says that to give thanks in all things and I said and I don't I don't know I don't know how you're going to do it but I believe if you don't the enemy is going to take you you need to begin to praise. And I laid there on the floor in the dark, and I heard him. He hardly could speak, but I, I heard him, him just saying, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for this breath that I can take right now. Thank you. Thank you that you're here with me. And he began to praise, and, and his praise became stronger, and, and, his, and his heart lined up with his head, and he began to speak. And you could feel the oppression and the spirit of death leave that room, and he overcame. Nothing changed in his physical body. Nothing changed in his physical body. But spiritually, he overcame the circumstances in the situation. And he was victorious. And day after day after day after day, he used those principles and he began to praise. And, and soon the, 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 the doctors figured out what was wrong and, and one thing led to another. And today he's serving in Israel a whole man. 
But what would have happened? What would have happened when the enemy came and it was skin for skin and he just said, I curse you and I want to die. I believe he was in the testing of skin for skin and if he'd yielded to Satan, he could have died. I believe that it is the praise of the saints that overcome the enemy. It's the praise of the saints that defeat our adversary. It's the praise of the saints that silence the mouth of the avenger and drive out the perverted beliefs of God's character that he has spoken. Years ago, lying in bed, surrounded by oppression deeper than I have ever experienced, God spoke to me, and he said, speak out my attributes. Speak out my character right now, Tina. Do it right now. And there was an urgency in that moment. And I began to speak out in the dark his attributes. God, you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the bright and morning star. You are the great I am. You are love and peace and joy and comfort and mercy. You're just and you're righteous and you're truth. You are kind and compassionate. You are Lord of lords. You're king of kings. And on and on I went and I felt I felt the oppression begin to leave. I felt that, that heaviness begin to lift out of that room. Why? Because I was establishing the truth of his character in what I believed through praise the enemy could not defeat. And you will have to learn how to do this. There are days coming when the oppression and the things that the enemy is going to be unleashed to do You will have to know how to stand and to find your praise. All throughout God's word, he tells us to praise him. In fact, in the area of warfare, he calls it high praise. She went on to say that what we've hidden in our hearts will be revealed in our times of greatest suffering. If we are going to be overcomers, we need to learn to utilize the tool of praise. We need to practice praising God when everything around us is crumbling. Our government, our nation, our churches, our finances, when there's wars and rumors of wars, when nations rise against nation, when there are famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places, even when the wicked plot to have us killed, we need to hide the word of God in our hearts as a weapon, a sword with which to battle against the oppression of the enemy. You know, I heard a comment recently that the devil is a legalist. If you remember when Christ was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, the devil masterfully manipulated scripture to try and trap Christ. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down because it's written, he shall give his angels charge over you and they shall keep you from bashing your foot against a stone. I have the power to give you all of these things if you'll just bow down and worship me. To which Christ replied to all three, it is written. He essentially quoted the actual law back to Satan who was trying to manipulate the law. And although he can manipulate the law for the primary purpose of deceiving, he has no power to change the law. In fact, he's instead bound by God's law. So it seems to me that we need to learn the law. It's time that we learn the promises of God so that we too can withstand the schemes of the devil. 
when we are overwhelmed with oppression and when he tries to tell us that we aren't good enough or that God has abandoned us or when fear overtakes us to try and make us disbelieve. We need to repeat what is written, not only the truths about God, but also about our position in him. One of the things that that lady said in the sermon, which I loved, was that if the enemy can steal your identity, then he has stolen your authority. If he can convince you that you are unworthy or that you're powerless or that you're alone in the fight, then he can cause you to doubt your own authority, which gives him an advantage. You know, over the holidays, as we were driving to vacation, I went back and listened to one of Father Malachi Martin's interviews from the Art Bell radio program in the late 1990s. And he was talking about his experience as a priest with exorcisms. And he said a couple of things that just burned into my memory. One of which was that true exorcisms are a battle of wills. The priest's will against the demon's will. And when he was asked if some of the things that he experienced during exorcisms made him afraid, he said that he was given a piece of advice by an older priest when he first began performing exorcisms that he needed to measure his love of God by the amount of fear in his heart. Fear is the absence of faith. If the devil has you trapped in fear, then you can't walk in faith or in the power of your authority. If you remember, all it takes is faith as small as a mustard seed. So when you shift your focus to the love that you have for God and the truths about who he is, rather than focusing on your fears, then it's the perfect example of 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There may come a day when we and even our children might be faced with something that is outside of ourselves, outside of our control, our understanding, and seemingly outside the laws of our earthly domain, as we mentioned earlier. We may have to come against principalities, powers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. But God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. In fact, I did a quick study on the phrase, sound mind. In Greek, it translates as the word sophronismos, which is a compound word combining the words sozo and phroneo. Now, sozo essentially means deliverance, to be rescued or protected. And phroneo is a reference to our mental state. It's the opposite of irrational. It actually means to be disciplined or to act with self-control, to have a confidence of sorts. And when combined, sophronismos essentially means to be confident or assured that we have been rescued or that we are protected. So if we read 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 again, we're told that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and the confidence that we have been redeemed and are protected. If God is for us, nothing can stand against us. Greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. As I said earlier, I had a few people reach out to me over the holidays who were really struggling with fear. 
But I also had a couple ladies reach out to me who shared some paranormal experiences that they'd had, both in the past and also recently. And knowing that I was going to create this episode to offer some encouragement to my listeners, I reached back out to them and asked them how they overcame their experiences. One of the ladies said that she quoted scripture out loud. She reminded the demon of their future, and she also reminded it of hers. She said she held captive every thought, and she learned to lean not on her own understanding, both of which are perfect pieces of advice for when the devil comes against us, as we said earlier, to try and insert doubt and insecurity, to hold every thought that we have captive and make sure that it aligns with the truths, the law from God's word. And also to lean not on our own understanding, to realize that we may not know or even understand the plan, but we trust the one who does. And even if everything around us is crumbling, and even if there's no breakthrough coming, God is still good, and he's still faithful, and he still loves us, and he's still worthy of our praise. The other lady shared how she had recently felt impressed to pray over her home and her land. She said the history of the land may have had a complicated past, and she just felt impressed to reclaim it for God. She went through the house laying hands on the walls and praying for God to cleanse and protect it. And she reached a section of the home where she felt a very heavy and almost sick feeling come over her. I loved what she said. She said, I've only been a lukewarm Christian until very recently. I'm not a healer. I have no idea what my spiritual gifts are. Very limited biblical knowledge. I'm only delving into it more recently through your podcast. So I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. It caught me completely off guard. She went on to say that instead of retracting, she doubled down. She kept pressing her hand firmly on the house and praying repetitively. And eventually she felt the heaviness dissipate. And what she said next just floored me. She said that in retrospect, it was a major battle of wills. And because she was stubborn, she just continued to pray until she felt the heaviness disappear. She also offered advice and said that prayer is more than just words. Technique is important also. You can't back down. Hold firm and keep pushing through until it goes away, whatever it is. It may not happen the first time. Don't expect it to. Dig in. Demand dominion in Jesus' name. I absolutely loved that. And she couldn't be more right. In fact, there's another podcast that I listened to over the holidays. It was an episode from the Unrefined podcast, which I will also link in the description of today's episode. They were talking to a pastor named Steve Harmon, who has a ministry, which I believe is called Deliverance, that goes out and lays hands on the sick and prays for healing. And he was sharing about the effectiveness of his ministry. And in the midst of his sharing, he said something really incredible, that oftentimes we think that in order to pray effectively for others or for situations, we have to be in a zone. We have to feel a certain power or conviction behind our words in order for breakthrough to happen. But he essentially said that this isn't true. Healing doesn't come from any power that you have within yourself. Prayer is about obedience. It's about the act of praying and not the person praying. 
which essentially means that you don't have to be qualified to pray. You don't even have to feel like praying. You just have to do it and there's power in it. I thought that was incredible. Prayer doesn't require qualification or some form of spiritualism or a biblical degree. And that's why anyone can do it from the dirtiest of sinners to the most innocent of children. There is power in prayer just in and of itself. And he also said that sometimes it doesn't work the first time, that there will be times when we need to repeat it over and over. But that doesn't mean that we did anything wrong. Sometimes it just requires perseverance. As we go into the days ahead, we really do need to put on the whole armor of God. We need to know his truths so that we can suit up with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness to have our feet ready to share the gospel wherever we go and to protect ourselves with the shield of faith that Ephesians chapter 6 says extinguishes all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Faith is not only the absence of fear, but it's also the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. There is power in believing God's promises, even if we can't see them. It protects us from believing the lies of the enemy. And that's why faith is our shield. We're also told to put on the helmet of salvation and to battle with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the law. That's our weapon with which to protect ourselves from the schemes of the devil. It's not a weapon of this world, but rather a weapon that has divine power to demolish strongholds. So for those of you who are afraid of the days ahead, my best piece of advice is to learn the law. Memorize the truths about who God is and who you are in him. Pray without ceasing. The more you do it, the better you'll get at it. Teach your children their power that no weapon formed against them shall prosper. To resist the devil and he will flee from them. That we are given the authority to trample on snakes and to overcome all the power of the enemy. And probably the most important thing, teach them to praise God and thank him even when things aren't going their way and even when they don't feel him. We need to be thanking God for minuscule things and even more so when things go wrong. We need to be so used to thanking and praising God even when there's no hope that the world could be crumbling around us and it's a habit to thank God and trust in his plan. And that takes practice, which we need to be doing now in preparation for darker days. You know, one of my favorite scriptures of all times is Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. Most people are familiar with Philippians 4, 13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I've always loved the verse just prior to that, where Paul says, quote, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in need. For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, unquote. And the thing that always stuck out to me about that verse is the phrase, I have learned. I have learned to be content, 
meaning that it didn't come naturally to him. He wasn't just gifted the disposition of being content in any and every situation. It took practice. It took time to learn the secret of being content when things were going good and when things were going bad, when he had an abundance or when all he could do was trust in God. And the secret was Christ who strengthens us. No matter what gets thrown at us, we can be assured that God is still on the throne. If the world crumbles around us, if our livestock are taken from us, our possessions are taken from us, our loved ones are taken from us, we need to reach a place where we can say like Job, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. To be able to praise God in the good times and to praise God even when things go terribly wrong because there's power in the praise and it's a power that silences the voice of our enemy. And I just felt the need to share that encouragement for those of you who are struggling with fear of what may come and remind you that we're in it together. And sometimes we just need to remind each other of what we're focusing on. Are you focusing on fear or are you focusing on love and goodness and God's promises and his truth? Because we win and no matter what the devil throws at us in the coming days and weeks and months and years, it's out of desperation because he knows that his time is coming to an end. And on that note, I want to give you the heads up that the flu has hit our house this week. I'm trying my hardest to protect myself, but in the event that it spreads, the regular episode may or may not air next week. So if it doesn't, you'll know why. And I thank you in advance for your prayers. And with that, if you've enjoyed today's content, you can support the podcast by becoming a listener supporter or by leaving me a review on whichever platform you're using. And as always, make sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and share this podcast with a friend. We'll see you next time. 